Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 92. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm John Miro. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on to the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. This is our chance to play the imagination game, exploring story aspects we love and offering different takes on how to improve the tale. All of us Voltroning together, transforming an idea already in progress <laughs> into literary gold. Literary gold, indeed. <laughs> Voltroning. See, I've never heard that particular metaphor invoked here on the round table. You have earned your seat there in the virtual chair, Master Miro. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's good to be part of the team, and I'm looking forward to today's work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our 20 minutes with was was a delight, and I'm giddy, giddy with anticipation, as always, to brainstorm. But we can't do that until we bring on our guest host. So do let's do that now. Fresh from a fabulous 20 minutes with of just seven days ago, please return back to the big chair here at the round table, all the way from Greece, Andrew Weston. Andrew, it is always a delight to have you in the virtual studios here at the RTP. And dude, I am pumped and delighted at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you. Thanks for making the time, sir. Well, thank you. I look forward to sharing the insanity that dominates my every waking moment. Thank you. <laughs> it's a contagion, really. It's like a viral thing. We're going to infect other writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be right back after you get that alcohol swab for the microphone. <laughs> there you go. And, and and the earphones. Yeah, absolutely. Get that get that penicillin injects and see if we can keep this clean. Ha! That ain't going to happen. Andrew, you know, Hellbound just came out and is receiving marvelous reviews. And you've been blog touring the heck out of it. You've got stories in the In Hell series. The ninth is out there. And I know as a storyteller, you are far from finished, that you have more stories to tell. So could you take just a minute and share with our listeners What's coming up? What's what's on the writer's board for Andrew Weston? And and where are you where are your plans taking you in the next month or year or so? Well, over the next month, I'm just finishing off um, my self-edits. Um, when I finish a story, I self-edit and then I send it off to uh, Janet and the team uh, for further editing. I'm actually just finishing the sequel to Hellbound itself. I, I work well ahead, you see. <laughs> I see that, uh, yeah. Sneak preview, if you like, an exclusive for you. The, the sequel to Hellbound will be called Hellhounds. So there you go. It's, <laughs> it's called Hellhounds. I'm just finishing that off. Uh, when I finish that, uh, as as you know, the concept uh, I devised for David Grimm and his team, uh, they leapfrog the anthology. So what I'll be then doing is going on to the very next anthology and completing the story for that. I won't release the name of that just in case Janet doesn't want it released, unfortunately, but (laughs) I I can assure you it's going to be a rip-roaring adventure. Look out for a place called Skull Isle. You'll see. (laughs) (laughs) And when I finish that, the... Further things that we may chat about in the future. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I've signed confidentiality clauses. You see, I can't Ooh. tell you. Unless you ply me with huge amounts of alcoholic beverage, but um, <laughs> yeah. even then I may slur my words. <laughs> so NDA so, stands for no. Don't ask. 
Nah, don't ask. <laughs> although, although I must admit, on, on a serious note, I'm uh, planning for when the current work that I'm engaged in for the next oh, two, three years is, is completed, I'm already planning uh, on laying the foundations uh, for a brand new series, shall we say. That's really? Um, How about genre? Yeah. Can you tell us genre? It's going to be science Fiction. I was going to ask because you have a strong science background. You, I mean, you you blog and consult for NASA, so you've got that working under your belt. I figured uh, yeah, there had to be sci-fi in your future somewhere. Well, what I, I did, yes, and uh, what I've done, how can I say, is blend, you know, a little bit about my past, being in the military, uh, the way things are in the world nowadays. It's a troubled world with that little bit of aspect of. You know, um, oh, science could save the future. And I'm blending that together into a story that um, I'm hoping, you know, should be quite entertaining. I don't want to give anything away. But look out in the future for the Panacean Knights. You'll see. The Panacean Knights. Exclusive on the Round Table podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And and instantly, John, did you just suddenly get a whole visual image for what the Panacean Knights are? Oh, I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Certainly for me, and I'm sure for our listeners, uh, uh, we are going to attend uh, eagerly and 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 conscientiously your feed for when these delights come out in the world. Uh, now, let me turn the mic over to John Miro. John, you have been a veritable cornucopia of awesomeness. Uh, my inbox continues to delight at, at the, the offerings that come in from your Patreon feed. So I'm real curious to ask you, dude, what's on your horizon? I am in the enviable or unenviable position of being able to plan several things and having to follow through with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have been some very, very loyal and patient supporters waiting for Enemy Lines 4 and 5, which is coming out soon in ebook and awesome. in audiobook. Awesome. I have to finish Far Lost the Rundown, and I have three more stories plotted and half penned set in Far Lost. My, my answer to the far flung space opera world it's a place where people end up and never escape. And uh, before there was a Syrian crisis, it was my answer to how do refugees get along? Um, <laughs> and my own shared world, Walk the Fire, I've had to put ra- uh, volume three on hold, but I've released several short stories which will be hitting an ebook and are already available in the Patreon feed at uh, patreon.com slash Serving Worlds, where I'm very lucky to have some followers. Uh, and that is called Crucible and Flame. It's a world not set in hell, but my flames allow people to walk pretty much anywhere in the world or worlds that they can reach by carrying it the old-fashioned way, whether that be in a candlelit lantern or in the belly of a spaceship. God, you have so many worlds. I mean, really, Serving Worlds is the ideal name for your space on Tay Interwebs, John. You've got that. You've got the Asunder series, which mm. which I know is sitting sitting back there <laughs> gnawing in the back of your head. Friends, do make the scene out to the to the worlds of Jean Miro, servingworlds.com, and sample the delights that you find there. Now, John, are you hitting any conventions uh, uh, in the near future? Well, as is want with the world, I've had uh, things in my life go wonky for the past couple of years that have required me to be home for family reasons, so I have not hit the convention scene, which is why I'm so grateful when I'm allowed to slum here on the round table and with some of my other friends. I do hope to visit Balticon in its new digs next year. Booyah! 
Booyah with George R. R. Martin as the guest host. Holy crap, that's going to be badass. Mm. That would be very cool. And I would love to see you there because I'm making that scene. And if you're there, we will, we will hoist an ale to each other. Be good to see you again because that's where we met in the real world for the first time. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Balticon is the catalyst, the flashpoint for many relationships in the potosphere, no doubt. Or the about. mutant sludge. <laughs> or the mutant sludge. Well, Cooley's going to be there. So, of course, there's mutant sludge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's awesome, John. And I will make sure that all of those links and tasty bits uh, for both you and for Andrew get into the liner notes uh, so so that our listeners can make with the clicky click and, and check out all that fabulosity. But right now, gentlemen, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pause and, and give us some some podcast airtime to another awesome podcast or an ebook or or a Kickstarter progress. There's so much going on out there in the world. Uh, uh, but we'll pause, give them some time. And when we come back. Andrew, John, I want to brainstorm a story with you. Are you down with that? Yeah. Let's do it. Friends, don't you go anywhere because all of us are going to be right back. I'm the first. The first of a new kind of human being. The first and only true artificial intelligence. Not a huge fan of that term, though. I prefer not to use the term stranded time traveler. I am merely on an extended vacation. Against my will. Talking with normal people is almost impossible. I'm constantly on guard. What did you do over the weekend? I definitely didn't drink any blood. (laughs) I'd never do a thing like that. I mean, brother, when you crash your spaceship on Earth, you are pretty much shit out of luck. We don't need aliens anymore. Not when people have Twitter and YouTube and podcasts and Periscope and Voibox and Winger and heaven knows what else. I don't see the point in anyone living in the coffin. Right? Who benefits from our silence? Certainly not us. Look, I I could take out this interview guy. I I mean, I could, like, wrap this chain around his neck and kill him right now. Do you have any more questions for us? Well, I got a few, so if you want to hold off on wrapping around the, the chain, that would be good. This is Jared Axelrod. Join me on the voice of Free Planet X, where I interview aliens and time travelers, vampires and witches, advanced AIs and ancient monstrosities. It's This American Life for a science fictional universe, and it's only at planetx.libson.com. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the reason why we're here and the reason why you're here, the story brainstorm. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous uh, guest writer striding forward and setting the table for our brainstorming feast. And uh, friends, our guest writer for this imminent brainstorm is a teacher and a tutor for high school science and math. So that's not a huge shock when you consider he scored a double major in physics and material science engineering from the University of California, Irvine. Now, he was born and raised in California, and he got his first story published when he was in the fourth grade, and he won a story contest. Now, that was his first and sadly only publication so far. But he has come to the roundtable to get started on what will hopefully be his second of many more to come. Dear friends, please welcome to the guest writer's chair here at the roundtable, Justin Tseng. Justin, dude, 
I don't care how many times anyone does this, putting up your baby for scrutiny from this motley crew, especially is, is, a, is an exercise in bravery and courage. Uh, so I salute you, sir. Thank you for coming up and, and setting the table for us. It's my pleasure. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to have so many minds working on one little story here. It's kind of fun, right? It's like, wow, this this is going to be fabulous. It's going to be a nuclear reaction is what it's going to be. It always is. We've reached critical mass, huh? That's right. That's right. The event horizon of fabulosity is about to be breached. And who knows what's on the other side? Uh, The audience shall be sucked into the wormhole, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And then they'll end up in the far lost universe. And holy crap. Now what? (laughs) Very cool. Well, Justin, let me ask you just real quick. Um, that 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 fourth grade story was was obviously a, a massive affirmation. Um, have I assume that you've pursued writing and have continued to write since then? Not seriously until very recently. I, I picked it up a couple of years ago when I started hearing about NaNoWriMo, ah. and that that is what got me back into it. Um, it. But I found that the the very short sustained bursts uh was not sort of my style so i've just been drawing it out now okay well nanowrimo is the gateway drug for a lot of writers to rekindle that passion so that's very cool well great then let's dive into this that let me i, I gotta ask have you done nanowrimo yet like succeeded no yes. i have not okay i have not succeeded that's right i'm 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 one for two so i i i totally get it uh, so just, just out of curiosity, cause we are, this is just, this is, this episode airs after NaNoWriMo. So there's probably a few commiserating with you as far as the 50,000 word, uh, challenge. But as we've all discovered, that's just one month. And, and the true test of a writer is not whether you make 50,000 in November. It's if you keep writing in December. Uh, and that of course is the true gauge. So awesome. Well, one might even call it a Rotanorimo. One might even call that because every month is a roundtable novel writing month. Oh, I see what you did there, Miro. Nicely done. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, let's dive into this then. Justin, you know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title and your target audience. Give us a a hook line uh, that describes the story. Give us the themes, if you have any. Introduce us to the world, the characters. Give us the basic tent poles of the story arc, and that that will set us off on who knows? Like I say, a nuclear reaction of, of possibilities. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to get out of the way, sir. The mic is all yours. All right. Well, the working title of this work is Red Haven. It's an adult sci-fi standalone novel with uh, what I'm calling prequel potential. Uh, the hook is uh, Earth's first colony ship discovers a planet where two cities of humans have already settled while the ship was on route. Pilot Zachary Norton struggles against prejudice to create a home for his own people while uncovering the corruption in the colonies that threatens to erupt into violence. The themes of the story, there's two parallel arcs. Zachary's story is about overcoming prejudice and finding his place in a foreign world. Uh, the other half, which centers on a young girl named Mara, is a more traditional coming-of-age arc about standing up for what she believes in. The setting is a distant Earth-like planet called Red Haven. Uh, the planet is almost completely frozen with a narrow, habitable zone near the equator. There are two main human cities, Sanctum and Argo. Sanctum survives by living deep in a system of enormous caves heated by volcanic activity. Sanctum is made up of genetically modified people who believe that humanity should adapt themselves to the cold environment in order to preserve the planet. Argo is built around what remains of the original ship of the same name, using its technology and power to sustain their city. They seek to warm the climate to make it more suitable for life. 
the characters, uh, the two main protagonists, Zachary Norton is an engineer and test pilot who was recruited to be the pilot of the Mayflower, the first colony ship built by Earth. His wife was also a lead on the project before she passed away just months before the launch. He's a strong leader because of his willingness to take charge and responsibility. And part of this is also due to his easy trust in others, which can also sometimes cause him trouble. Among the crew, however, he is more reserved than normal because he feels outclassed by the density of intellectual clout among the other crew members. His wife's death has caused him to become obsessed with seeing the Mayflower colony succeed. However, the unplanned complications of the two other cities that are already present, um, he has trouble letting go of his original plans and compromising with the other leaders. His arc begins with him grieving and dwelling on loss. Uh, he grows determined but struggles with feelings of inadequacy, trusting the wrong people, and refusing to let go of the past. At the end of the novel, hopefully, he comes to accept a new life and find a way to honor his past while also moving on. The other main protagonist is Mara, who is a citizen of the city Sanctum. Her personality is a stark contrast to Zachary's. She's fiercely independent to a fault, uh, rarely confiding in or relying on others. Her naivete combined with her stubbornness can be a dangerous combination. She begins a story oblivious to the politics swirling around her, but still supporting Mother Sanctum, the monarch of her city, by cultural default. When she finds herself on the wrong side of opinion about the Mayflower coup, she starts to see the cracks in the regime. She's disgusted by her old viewpoints, realizing that she, along with the rest of the citizens, believe what they do out of ignorance and apathy. Once she is outcast by force instead of by choice, she discovers a fear of loneliness beneath her confidence. She wants to reconcile her now ugly perception of her home with the paradise she once believed it to be. And she struggles to trust and find kindness in other people that she sees as complicit in the extremist views of their leaders. At the end of the novel, she learns to trust and love people despite their flaws, which helps her become a strong, mature leader. The two main antagonists, uh, Mother Sanctum is one of the first generation of genetically altered humans created by the descendants of the original colonists from the Argo. As a child, she's bullied and outcast by her peers. Her mother is one of the original separatists who created Sanctum. Now, Mother Sanctum is over a hundred years old, and sh but she is still charismatic and ruthlessly intelligent. Following in her mother's footsteps, she leads the quasi-theocracy of the city. By feeding a bitterness towards Argo from her childhood with an ideology that supports her condemnation of the city, she has become fixated on seeing Argo fail. Her brand of sort of extreme environmentalism also manifests itself as racism, as she believes that the genetically modified humans who can survive on the planet without technology are the ones who should control it. Deep down inside, she's afraid that she is not morally in the right, but she deals with this by doubling down on her own logic and reinforcing her beliefs. The other main antagonist is the mayor of Argo City. Uh, he's a man usually more accustomed to working behind the scenes. Never much of a stirring speaker, he rose to power through sheer cunning and force of will. He is elected mayor despite, or perhaps because of his default mindset of mild paranoia, which reflects the citizens' unease at the current tensions between the two cities. In the past, Sanctum has been the source of some mild aggression, and the mayor sees the current situation as extremely dangerous for the safety of his city. He wants to take preemptive action against Sanctum, but finds himself unable to convince the people to agree with him. He's truly concerned for his people, but his ends justify the means attitude is on questionable ground. He views the other politicians in the city as incompetent fools and fears letting the city fall to their hands. Okay, so the plot. 
the story is kind of, I have it kind of broken down into a three-act structure. Uh, Act one begins when the Mayflower arrives at Red Haven, only to find Sanctum and Argo had already beaten them there. Undeterred, Zachary decides to land a shuttle nearby to establish communication. Meanwhile, on the surface, Mara and a group of young adults leave Sanctum on the coming-of-age rite of passage for people of Sanctum. They have to live on their own in the wild for some amount of time. The inciting uh, event happens when the shuttle is mistaken for a hostile attack and shot down by Sanctum. Zachary and a couple crew members crash land on a beach where Mara hears the crash and goes to investigate. She finds the crew battered and bruised, but all alive. After determining that they're not from the city of Argo, she decides to take them back to Sanctum for shelter since they have lost all their supplies in the crash. Sanctum's other citizens receive them extremely reluctantly. Simple things like acquiring food are constantly met with hostility. Zachary wants to find a way to communicate with the main ship that's still in orbit so the rest of the crew and cargo can land somewhere safely. However, his requests are refused and ignored. At the end of Act 1, Mara stops a murder attempt on a crew member for unknown reasons, and Zachary decides to leave Sanctum for his own safety and try his luck at Argo. I'm unsure if he like escapes secretly or is uh, forcibly sent away. Starting from Act 2, everything is completely loose and subject to change, and that's where you guys come in. Um, Sanctum... <laughs> sends the crew to the Argo uh, with one of their own citizens, ostensibly as a guide, but actually as a spy. The Argo mayor readily agrees to help the main Mayflower ship land and establish their own settlement. Back at Sanctum, Mara is cast as a traitor for saving the crew from the mob or attackers or whatever happened. She's exiled to a lower class section of the city, where she begins to see how Mother Sanctum's views are putting the future of the city in jeopardy. She uncovers a plot to eradicate the non-genetically altered people um, that's already taken place amongst Sanctum's own respected Old Guard, which is a group founded to preserve um, human genes. At the end of Act 2, the Argo has turned the landing of the Mayflower into a celebration. However, once it lands, the area is devastated by several bombs. The mayor claims that it was an attack by Sanctum and uses it as an excuse to begin overt hostility. In reality, the attack was executed by his command in order to finally have an excuse to go to war. Act 3, again, I'm not sure what happens here. The most likely resolution is that these both these conspiracies, um, the one to wipe out non-dramatically engineered people and the bombing, are uncovered and you know the current leaders are overthrown and a truce is established. Uh, most important, though, are the two character arc endings, where Zachary begins a new life instead of fixating on his old colony ship, and Mara learns to unite her people against the ide- uh, what I'm calling the ideocracy of Sanctum. Very cool. It. Holy crap. Okay. Damn. That, that is quite the feast, Justin. You have set this thing out. Now, before we dive into this, uh, uh, what do you want to get out of the next you know, half hour, 45 minutes or so of brainstorming? Definitely act two and three sorted out. <laughs> I, have, I, I feel like I have a good grasp of where I want the characters to go. I just do not know how to make that happen with the plot. Okay. Uh, and that's where I'm having trouble. I, I think you have come to the right place. I think between uh, uh, Master Miro and Master Weston, uh, uh, we, we, we can help guide you to, to finding the filling those gaps. Uh, but before we do that, we need to cover our ass. So, Master Miro, would you be so kind as to deliver the patented roundtable disclaimer, please? Oh, of course. Justin, you are about to experience a veritable torrent, a barrage, a deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It is important you realize everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Andrew, or it might be complete and utter horse pucky. 
<laughs> this is your story, Justin, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. With that firmly in mind, are you ready to rumble? I'm ready. Let's get this. Let's get All this right. done. Oh man, I, I feel like I'll need to wear spandex and get a get a hood mask on or something. Like, yeah, I'm gonna rumble. Well, it's a good thing this is an audio podcast. Exactly. Exactly. See, it's it's theater of the mind. Everybody, picture us in spandex with hoods, leather hoods over our heads as we go forward. Not leather, mine is spandex, and you must call me writer libre. (laughs) (laughs) Writer libre. (laughs) It shall be so. And and heaven forfend, Miro, that might stick. That might stick. Right, <laughs> oh, a libre. I'm gonna, I'm gonna advance that. Very good. All right, let's get into this then. With our asses covered, uh, we can roll forward. And we always start with a quick once around the table, just a brief observation of initial impressions of the pitch, and to, a chance to ask any questions we might have of clarification. And we always start with our guest host. So, Andrew Weston, start us off, if you would, please, sir. What are your first impressions of Justin's pitch, and what questions do you have? for him i am intrigued one thing how did someone arrive at was it red what's it called red heart um red haven haven red haven how did they arrive on red haven before the colony ship because their ship was faster basically Ah, okay thank you a lot faster (laughs) (laughs) apparently yeah right well with you know with the distances and so on and so forth uh, they had a lot of time to catch up how much time? How long have these colonists been here before the Mayflower arrives? Um, I'm I'm ostensibly saying 200 years. I'm not set on that number, but that's roughly what I'm okay. seeing. Okay. Right. Excellent. That's helped. Thank you. Okay. okay. Anything else? Uh, at this stage, no. I shall um, check <laughs> in, in, a, in a little while. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and things always come up as we go forward. Then I'll turn the mic over to Master... To to writer libre, writer libre. What are your first impressions, and do you have any questions for Senor Justin? Hey, Justin, today <laughs> I have a question. Do not take any shame or offense. I want to know the very true nature of these two cities' separation. How did that first? Was it a violent separation? Was it an equal parting of the ways that became more volatile over time? Was that manufactured as the hatreds and the division grew, or was there some initial conflict? Um, there was a, an argument or a disagreement, I would say, between the 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 biologist scientists sort of sect, which turned into Sanctum, and the rest of the people. So the when the when Sanctum left and created their own city, it was not a happy parting, but it was a nonviolent parting. Uh, and the most important thing is that the what they were doing was taking a lot of expertise and, I guess, maybe technology and actual material with them. A uh, drain. In the, yeah, in, in the biological and medical fields. And uh, Argo definitely resents that. Okay. Uh, initial question I might also have would be, how much resources and supplies does Mayflower have when they land? Are they rich and bountiful, or is the cornucopia pretty lean? Um, undecided. Uh, so the, the, the main ship that's still in orbit, that's the one that we're concerned with here. Um, I, I'm not sure what's aboard there. Uh, could be anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's food for us <laughs> as, <laughs> as brainstormers figure out what's on there and, and make it, make it valuable or something. Yes. Good. Yeah. If you want to, we can definitely do that. Excellent. 
Excellent. Um, and and for myself, I I'm always fascinated, Justin. This there there have been other uh, uh, stories on the roundtable pitch that deal with the colony ships and this idea of a later colony ship with better technology arriving at a planet ahead of time, and then the older ship arriving. That that fascinates me uh, because it really offers an opportunity for culture clash. That's and, what exactly what I was planning. Yes. Yeah, and and you've got that, and you and you set that up even within the the, the sanctum and Argos framework, and then the arrival of this. It's 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 rich with story food. So I'm intrigued. Um, now I do have a couple of questions. Uh, his wife, Zachary's wife, died right before the launch of the Mayflower. Right. Okay. So that was. Um, I, I originally didn't plan for this, but it, it just felt right when I put it in there. Um, I, I'm not sure of the cause. It's not meant to be a, a plot point. It's just meant to be a character point. So it's it's something natural, something unremarkable plot-wise. Um, but it's mostly to give him sort of depth to his character and, and something unique. Okay. We we might need to play with that because it, it, it does feel kind of tacked on as a here's a de facto motivation for Zach. He wants to serve his wife. And, and with her not being a part of the story other than being dead, uh, uh, that, that I think we can strengthen him up a little bit, but that, that answers that question. And then also Zachary feels outclassed by the crew that he commands. He feels inadequate. That he is not the commander. He is the pilot. So he is, he is just a a nobody, nobody basically. Got it. Got it. And do we know who the commander is? Who is the commander? Uh, there's, I'm assuming there's going to be a commander on the ship. Yeah, no, there's definitely a captain of sorts. Um, He's he's very much a uh, a cardboard cutout character right now who's just there to be the captain. Okay. Okay. Cool. And the other question I had is um uh first well I guess okay, two more quick questions. Mother Sanctum yes. doesn't really believe she's right? Well, n- uh, she she has doubts, I'll put it that way. Okay. Where do those or- doubts come from? Um, I mean, she's, she's what, you know, the first person, I mean, she was clearly, you know, the leader of the schism from Argos and no, so on. Okay. Yeah. No, her mother was the one that ah, was right, the right, right. Yes. Uh, okay. So her mom, I guess I, I should distinguish my terminology. Now is, is, is she therefore a, an example for the reader of someone who's been boiled, grown and steeped in racism Exactly. But yes. she's smart enough to see maybe there's a chance, but she's just not smart enough or strong or, enough or strong enough to take those blinders all the way off. It, it's it's a combination of that and also the just the I guess the feedback loop of being in a group of people or a society that all feeds back into that same perspective. Yeah. Well, and also the burden of responsibility in a leadership role. And, yeah, and when yeah. when lead, when the mantle of leadership is upon you, you become a different person. And and that might that the choices that you make as a leader might actually be different than the persons you choices you would make as an individual if you didn't have those burdens and responsibilities. Okay, I can get behind that. And the last question I have is uh, the ship, uh, the ship that's piloted by Zachary flies down to uh, I assume towards sanctuary or sanctum rather, and they shoot it down. Now, why does sanctum have guns big enough to shoot down? A ship, right? So I'm not sure that it's a shoot down. It might be more like a electronics scramble type of thing, but um, it's most it's it's supposed to be their their defense setup because they expect uh, Argo to come after them. Okay, okay. I, I and and it that kind of points and illustrates one of the things I'd like 
us as we brainstorm forward to shore up is is the environment in this in which this takes place. Uh, uh, you know, the the planet doesn't have any presence at this point, other than it's cold and we have an equatorial line and. Uh, figuring out the cultures of Argos and Sanctum a little more deeply is something I'd like to explore because, like like Weston, I'm I'm a I'm a world builder too. Uh, so understanding that background and that foundation, I think, is very cool. All right. Can I ask an additional question before we close out? Yes, you may. Um, Justin. Yes. Is this is this um, a Cold War relationship or is it a cultural detente? Uh, I would say somewhere between those two things. Okay. okay, I'm going to ask another question along those same lines. How close are Sanctum and Argo to each other? If if the whole equatorial band of this planet is habitable, and they've been here for 200 years, and when the Sanctum people, I mean, did the Sanctum people leave, plant their city 200 feet away from Argos and say, no, we're here now? I mean, why didn't they go halfway around the planet and build there? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, I was planning on having them be relatively close, um, def- you know, travelable on, you know, on foot or maybe by vehicle, yeah. but not nothing extreme like on the other side of the planet. Okay. You could you could easily say that that there was a survey site B that was planned as being something sure. close. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. Okay. I, and that's the other thing is 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 clarifying the the tensions mm. between these two cultures. I think is going to be important other than we don't like you because you do genetics. Uh, uh, I think we can deepen that up a little bit and maybe raise the stakes a little bit. Yeah. I'm not sure if this came through in the pitch, but the the Sanctum's problem with Argo is that Argo wants to heat up the environment and Sanctum wants to keep it cold and change the people instead. Are we talking about dropping meteorites to heat the environment? Are we talking about somehow changing just the local cities to be warmer? Um, Undecided, but I was kind of vaguely leaning towards just uh, pumping the atmosphere full of, uh, you know, greenhouse gases type of so thing. Some epic terraforming. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, we can play with that. We can play with that. Excellent. Racist, racist. It's oh. haven forming. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Death to all of them. All right. Let's dive into this. Uh, uh, Andrew, where do you want to start? Where, where do you want to start this brainstorming feast? Okay. As you just touched on, uh, the one thing that's uh, hit me is... Um, Justin is a little bit unsure on various aspects, um, probably why he's come along to ask for advice. Um, I'm a world builder, and before I actually start writing, I spend some considerable time uh, building the environment in which my story is going to take place. And I think really you need to define, if, if you don't mind saying, Justin, you uh, need to define some of the characters a little bit more and spend some time before you develop any further in setting the history to it. Because, um, like you say, if you're building a house and you just start whacking the odd brick on here and there, it's going to fall down. Get the foundations of this story in place before you go any further. Get um, a little bit of history in place. So you don't have to use it all in one go, but have it there so that you can relate to it throughout the story uh, as and when the uh, plot calls for it. So, the, oh, yes, oh, yeah, right, I see that, I see that. Okay. Um, so the, the reader can relate to it. Having these in place, it's going to really, really help the, the, the real-time development of the actual story itself. Do, do you understand what I mean? Uh, yeah. John, yeah. what do you think? Uh, do you have any ideas for what that history could be? 
I do. Um, and this is what I was wondering about earlier when we talked about, is it a cold war or is it a cultural detente? And I like things that aren't black and white. I like right. the fact <laughs> that Justin set up a culture that, well, Argo really doesn't want to go to war. Maybe there's some good things, some bad things. Maybe they have a football game once a year. Who knows? But I also <laughs> like the fact that there is a great resource challenge. And I think part of what could go into that could be something as complex and boring as a political trade negotiation where they have to fight to get what they want from each other. Um, or there could be humanitarian efforts that are keeping things thawed between the two. It, it, it can permute, it can permeate rather into your slang, the way you talk about each other, about bad ways you use terms to make people think about an issue, to swing an argument could be, oh, don't be so Argo about that. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And those touches will, idioms, yeah. Yeah, those touches will paint the character, the temperature without you having to use a very big, bald brush that people can read very clearly. Yeah, right. I like that. I like that. I, and I actually kind of like the idea that, you know, the, the initial pitch had this, you know, Ur, I hate you or I hate you. I like your idea, John, of, of blending them a little bit and, and having, you know, having maybe a resource shortage of some kind uh, uh, or, or some sort of codependency that forces them in proximity, that forces them to engage in some way, shape or form. But as you say, then the tensions grow big. I was wondering if, you know, maybe there's something about the way the original Argo ship landed. Oh, and that was another thing I really loved was the idea of Argo being built at, on the skeleton of the, the landed ship. I think that's badass. Um, what if there was a malfunction when they landed? What if there's like something in the, in the magnetic field of the planet that affected the way this colony ship, this future colony ship with this very exotic technology, uh, uh, and it crashed. So they don't have all of the stuff they were supposed to have when they landed. So it became for those first years, and, and here's your prequel right here, Justin, uh, uh, is, is, you know, the survival and how the, the schism occurred. Uh, because the first years of, of arrival on this planet would have been desperate if, if it was a crash. What do you guys think of that? I, I want to jump in. Yeah. Justin, I know you're the story, but writer Libre must speak. Ah! <laughs> um, I really like the idea, and I wanted to say this from day one. I think, oh, God, don't use this as the terrible example. But I think you've got a trilogy okay. here. Ah! You've got oh, no. it before, <laughs> during, and after. Because okay. you cannot wrap up a cultural difference. And I really like, I want to build on what he said. Uh, Dave could be quite right that there could be something in the past that not only was a shortage, but could be the the trigger that convinced both groups that there was a different way to handle it. Maybe they had mm. to create a few genetically or you know bio-modified individuals to get them through the lean times. And that started parallel modes of thinking about how to colonize this world. I really like that idea. I like yeah. that idea too. Yep. No, ooh, you could oh geez. They they <laughs> Okay, here we go. And this this is this might be a complete detour, but when they first arrived, they could have used, you know, maybe the, the indigenous life forms were very scant and few, and mm -hmm. they obviously have genetic technology. Maybe they created <laughs> they create they tried to create cows that could exist on here and create some mm -hmm. sort of livestock and, and plant growth, and something in the planet mutated them horribly. And now they created monsters and now they have to work together to uh, 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 defend against the, the monsters of their own creation. Uh, uh, and, and the way that they do that, yeah, that, that, that might be just weird. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 that goes I, I to the sh it. supplemental short story. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. What were you going to say, Justin? Oh, no, I, saw, I was just saying that I, I see where you were going with that. Yeah, some some sort of of mishap, some choice that was made. See, and there's this there's the spark for the separation, and and we're right. talking a lot of backstory here, and we can talk a little bit more, but I do want to talk about the characters too. But the the choice that they made that resulted in catastrophe would be the schism point, or the uh, way they dealt with it. Right. Yeah, yes. I, I exactly. That's, that's like, yeah. Yeah. Figuring out but, what that is. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, J- Justin, will you? Uh, sorry, going back, because I made a lot of notes in quick succession here, which is very hard. Do you, were you originally attending for this to be one novel? Yes. What I have plotted out here is, is for one novel. Um, and, uh, uh, as the guys have already said, you have a potential here for possibly more. However, um, you've got to try and build into it a surplus of information, as it were, but don't try and tell the story all in one go. Gotcha. Give it Give it the time it needs to develop because, you know, this sounds as if it could be an absolutely awesome story and you don't want to try and compress it. I mean, it doesn't need to be a trilogy, but it might be need to be it might need to be more than one story. Give it the, the, the time it needs um, because you got to yeah. let it breathe. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, and I could see this first story being this immediate crisis of the ship arriving, the introduction of these this alternate culture and the tensions, and the arrival of that ship creating an immediate crisis. That crisis yeah. gets resolved in this book. Then we go back and see mm-hmm. the origins of this. And, and at the end of book one, there's this bigger threat. And now we go back, we see the origin of the threat. And then book three is the ultimate resolution of the true threat that threatens all three cultures. It also also adds in a luxury if you start to spread it out. Because uh, one thing I noticed, uh, you said, um, is it Mara who's on a beach when there's a crash landing? Yeah. Yeah. Just Well, this is it. In a crash landing, people die. (laughs) Oh, so uh, if I remember you saying there, no one was hurting and so on, you can add... Uh, there's that saying, write what you know and keep it real. There's another thing um, that that I've learned about keeping things real. Main characters die. It allows you to develop interesting characters, characters that people can really relate to. And they absolutely, oh, I really like that. Him or her, and and have them die in something like that. I was was just going to say, this would be a great thing to resolve what Dave asked about earlier. We could just Mm -hmm. move the wife's, his, his wife's death up to the crash. Super. Beautiful. To make make her into make her involved within the story. And you it's know, also that, immediate now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so fresh. He relies on and you know, it makes him who he is and so on. And then bam, she dies and oh shit. You know, it's, <laughs> right. Yeah. You've got a great basis for him becoming the person he becomes. And That's may awesome. I just say I think that you talked a lot about Mara's becoming someone who overcomes prejudice um, and meets a coming of age. You have a beautiful opportunity to mirror that with now Zachary overcoming his hatred of the people who caused the ship to crash and learning ah. to help unite the two societies. Yeah. That's something I didn't consider before. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, and I was, I, now I'm going to, I'm going to throw an alternate timeline on there. And, and if we go with the idea that the original Argos crashed because of some waveform or, or radiation that messed with their drive systems, I'm just going to throw this out as a what if and see if it, it generates any story food. What if mm-hmm. what if the crisis that we're dealing with here is the fact that that system also messes with the Mayflower's drive and that's what caused the piloted ship to crash? 
which means now we have this habitable planet. We have a colony ship with thousands, tens of thousands of lives. Stranded in orbit. Exactly. And hmm. now we need to resolve our differences between Sanctum and Argos in order to save those 10,000 lives. And that becomes Zachary's mission. That also explains why, and here was one of my questions, why the hell didn't the Mayflower just radio down to Sanctum and Argo and say, hey, we're here. Sorry, I see you guys got here first. Can we join you? Uh, if there's radiation in the planet that prevents communications, yeah, yeah, then the only way they can go down is by ship. The ship crashes, and now Zachary is the only one. He's the guy on the ground. He was like the co-pilot. His wife was the pilot. She's died. He's thrust into a position of leadership for this first and only away team uh, because clearly no one else can come down. He needs to find a way to communicate with the Mayflower and some way to shuttle those survivors down. The only way he can do that is by, and, and this will be the conceit of the story, is by combining something that Sanctum has. Resources with, to rescue. Exactly. Exactly. What do you and think Justin of that, May, Justin? One more, Justin, before you say a word. Listen, 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 okay. listen. Last from Writer Libre, then I'll shut up. <laughs> His daughter's up there. Oh. I, I actually had that. I actually had that. Oh, okay. dude, yes. I yes. had it as um, the the ship is not really has that many live like uh, humans, but it has a bunch of like embryos and seeds, and one of them is his daughter or son or something. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. God, that's uh, see. I'm see, and as soon as you said that, John, the first thought I thought was the first the first solution to this problem is establishing communications. Mm-hmm. And what a wonderful moment it would be if, you know, he's agonizing. God, I hope my son's OK. My daughter's my child is OK. And he gets the chance then to there would be a very poignant moment when he can actually talk to uh, uh, the son or daughter. Uh, uh, maybe not. Well, well, you know what? Let's we can we can milk that. It's up to Justin, of course. Yeah, right. But I have to say that the immediacy of having his wife die serves the characters and the immediacy of the plot. Having people maybe being percolated brood. I'm not sure if they're popsicles for the whole trip or what. We haven't covered that. But so long as they're percolating a few years before they get there so that, you know, they've added water and reconstituted some humans before the start of this mission, we now have actual living people we can care about or even perhaps a subplot of how they keep going up there. Right. And if we add to the the idea the fact that the Earth is dead, that, 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 that was, that was the original. Yeah. That's that's why uh, the Argo left was, this is, there is no hope. There is no going back. We can only go forward. And at this point, uh, uh, the Mayflower has found its place and it like, I don't know, it doesn't have any more gas or something. Uh, uh, it means we have to make this work. Otherwise we're all decaying orbit, decaying orbit. Yes. (laughs) The radiation, uh, uh, you know, they go into orbit, they start their scans, blah, blah. Oh, Hey, look, there's cities down there. That's sort of the staticky. And now suddenly they realize, Oh crap, we can't get out of orbit. And Oh crap, quick, send a pilot down there. Bam. Yeah, no, they're definitely out of gas because they have to stop when they get there, and that's going to take all their gas. So they're okay. they're stuck. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. Well, and I think that gives that gives Zach now a very clear mandate. Uh, uh, he's got an emotional arc in there in terms of the death of his wife and saving his child. He's also got the professional career mandate of being called to action. It's the classic hero's tale of this is the call to action. Are you going to be the guy that saves 10,000 human lives? And so now his, his drive and his conflict is, is perfect. He's invested. Let's talk about Mara a little bit. Um, 
Andrew, did you have any thoughts about Mara as a character? Is there something about her that's that's not crystallized and powerful for you, or something that you wanted to explore in her in her background? Yeah, as as I say, she's on the beach there. She waits for the crash landing, and and I was just running. I say I'm a world builder. I can't help it. I I, I give people the history before they come in. Now, just because you give people a history doesn't mean to say you have to tell all of that history in one go. It's right. there for you to tap into. And I, and I think really, so you need to tell perhaps a little bit about her story before, oh, not, perhaps not before, but you know, you need to have something in place to, to, to perhaps yeah. expand on, on why, why was she there? What she is, why she would react in, in the way that she does. Yeah. So um, if I, if I may, it's hard to squeeze all of that into the pitch. Go ahead, what you got? So, what, what I have is, um, Mara is, I mean, she's a young woman, so she's like maybe 18 or 17, so she doesn't have that much history. But what, what's going on is in, in Sanctum, they have genetically modified most of the citizens, but some of them they, they keep um, unmodified to, to have a backup copy of, of human genes, to so to speak, right? Yeah. And, and this, this subgroup of people is, is uh, sort of respected. But they're also looked down upon because they have inferior genes. They're organics. They're organics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and one of Mara's, you know, best childhood friends is one of these people. So that that's her her hook. Why she's willing to trust the crew, because even though they are, you know, inferior people, is because she has this this friendship from her childhood. Um, the reason why she's outside the city and sort of wandering around the countryside is because the whole deal with Sanctum is they they believe in living on the planet as it is. So. When you become an adult, your rite of passage is you go out into the world and you camp out there for a month and you just live off the land. And that's what she's doing when she finds them. Ah, okay. okay. I'm one of the things that, that, that struck me as you're, as you were giving the pitch, Justin, was that Zachary's story and Mara's story seem almost separate. It, it's, it's almost like I could tell Mara's story without Zachary and vice yeah. versa. I, I was having that problem too. Uh, I, I felt like they intersected in the beginning and the end, but now we're in the middle and I was yeah. hoping to address that. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. John, what do you, any, any thoughts as far as how we can mesh? I'm brewing. Mar I'm brewing. Okay. Um, you brew. But this is this is classic writer's room stuff, uh, Justin. Don't take any of this as gospel. Just take it. This is lots of things to sew, hoe, or toss out. That's right. But we've talked about how there is a sub- society, a lower level that she's banished to or somehow has to interact with. Mm -hmm. What if her journey through that somehow involves getting them on side with Zach to save their people, and that involves turning the voting tide against the desire to be isolated? Uh, if you somehow get him, get Zachary glued to her in order to, the first step is to turn the tide in Sanctum before they can even get permission to leave, then you can show them both struggling with why is this right, why is this wrong, both changing their minds a little or changing society a little with the revelations of their existences. But then you also get to the point where they can care about each other. And mm -hmm. the fact that they're caring about this old-fashioned human meat bag versus this new person <laughs> You're again, you, it's the, it's the defiant ones, but instead of being prisoners, they're prisoners of their society. Yeah. Well, and that in, raises an interesting point in that, you know, we've already established that the Argo left after 
the Mayflower and arrived yes. before because of superior drive technology. That's fine. Uh, but that leaves probably a good 200 to 1,000 years, depending on how long the journey took, between the two. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. is there a language barrier between uh, one or the other? And, and you know, does Sanctum, do the, do the people of Sanctum and Argos, do they have memory banks and, and a history? Do they, do they know about the Mayflower? And it's amazing yeah. to them. Holy crap, I remember you. I read about you in the history books. You're you, Buck you, Rogers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, about that, um, I was planning, this is, again, just kind of loose plan, that um, Sanctum has covered up the existence of the Mayflower because they really just don't like them and they don't want to a- acknowledge their existence. Why? They, they, they just sort of hope that they get lost in space. Why? Because they don't Why? like the people. The, Why? They, they see, the, the Mayflower generation is the one that, that ruined Earth because ah, of the, the runaway greenhouse. Excellent. Excellent. And then the... Um, uh, what should we call it? The Ar- the Argo City um, knows about the Mayflower, but it's just sort of forgotten in the back in the you know the annals of history. They just they're like they know about it, but they're like uh, it's, that's not going to happen. Now, they okay, probably so got lost in space and died. <laughs> you need to address as a point that there's yeah. not a timer inside one of the computers saying "Ding, Mayflower is due." It's got to be lost and a hundred years out of time and assumed gone forever. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Yeah. And and what you know and what if what if the Mayflowers engines or something i mean here just to, just to make it even more impossible uh, uh what if the mayflower's engines represent the same technology that that destroyed earth that led the argo to flee oh that's a good one yeah <laughs> good, good one so now we can't bring the argo down and in fact you know the the ship that crashes with zachary in it probably is is creating a, a contamination zone uh, uh, that 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 is is deadly or something to to the natives of the planet. I don't know. I might be old, just putting in MacGuffins of complication in there. Yeah, I've, I've been I known should, to do if, that. If it was powerful enough to destroy the world, you could probably harness it and use it somehow. It, it, yeah, I think it's more yeah. likely if you make it a thin dying grape on the vine instead of a powerful new source. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and to go back to the idea of of language differentials, I mean, it's kind of contrived, but Mara could be the translator initially until Zachary gets up to speed on the language of the area, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, which would then give us a reason to be in Mara's head. Because as Mara and Zachary go through things, we're in Zachary's head, we go forward and an event happens and she has a meeting with the mother and then and there's translation and we're not sure what's going on here. And then we go into Mara's head and she gives us the background and insights of what's going on. You could build some interesting tension in there as what's really happening. You know, we see it from Zachary's standpoint and wonder and then we get oh. instant gratification. Oh, amigos. What do you got, El Writer Libre? Uh, Zachary has become upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> upgraded if, how, Writer Libre? If, if you if you somehow gave him the 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 advances, some of the technology that lives in Sanctum to upgrade his cortex so he can translate and be the, the speaker. Oh. That would give him such a unique nexus of perspectives. He'd be a cultural darling as well. Yeah. But that would put him in a position where he could have a voice in a society that is trying to, on one side, point out, do you see how we've made this old animal relevant with our technology, Argos? Do you see? Whereas he could also be saying, but you guys, we need to take what you've got and return it to the world. And you can t- tie it however Justin wants, but I dropped the mic. 
<laughs> that is very good. I like that. I, I could even see, you know, the fact that 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 genetic therapy or that or that DNA upgrade that allows you, you know, cognitive uh, uh, speaking in tongues, you know, where you can now speak to everyone at all things like the babble fish from from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhikers, yeah. um, but uh, uh, that's that's a process that everybody undertakes. And mother sanctum denies it because he's one of the Mayflowers and Mara in, in her first true act of defiance where she, she defines herself defies is, is, is mother sanctum her mother as well? Uh, no. See, okay. I, I realize the naming convention is weird. Um, well, no, I'm just, wondering, do we want her to be? Oh, Oh dear. Um, I don't know. That could be fun. Culty kind of mom. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and make this more intimate for Mara. Maybe everybody calls her mother because they've decided that. Oh, snap. Oh, she's, she's the genetic, like. She's the genetic mother. Model. She's the genetic model. Yeah. For which she's they the template. Oh, that's. So they're not oh, only upgraded, they're clonage. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of clonage. And that's creepy. And I can totally see I can totally see why Argos would not be down with that. And and that's the kind of the cool thing is we get something creepy in in Sanctum. We get something creepy in Argos. And and everybody knows it's creepy. They kind of acknowledge the creepiness of it, but it's all that they can do. And now this arrival of the Mayflower represents a salvation that if they are if they can see it, if they can evolve culturally enough to embrace it and put aside their prejudice could actually save them. And that's Zachary and Mara's job. They both, and, and that's how we tie Mara and Zach together. Don't let Mara's arc run separate from Zach, but make her see what Zach represents. And then we can, we can have her arc, they can separate, but they're both working to the same end. Right, right. Whether it's fresh genetic stock, whether it's a fresh <laughs> seed stock, whether mm-hmm. it's the fact that there's just enough material in the ship that they can rebuild yes. something critical, they're in, in their reactors are dying, whatever yeah. it is. There has to be a treasure as well as a risk. Yeah, I, I think I like the agricultural sort of seeds and, and genetic stock perspective the most. Uh, because yeah. that's something that the Mayflower would very, very likely have on board. You know, a whole bunch of food. Yeah, the earth from before it was ruined type of deal. Sure. And and maybe, you know, fresh power cells that, you know, can't do interstellar travel anymore, but could run the thing that that Argos is building their their uh, uh, their their oh. planet, their their tra- terraforming machine is ready. They just don't have the power to run it. And the, the, the Mayflower represents that. What do you got, John? Well, if they both want. There's two twin impacts. I'm wondering which is more preferable to you, Justin. One, mm-hmm. or a mix of both, of course, that both have to work together to <laughs> Voltron a solution to save these <laughs> ancestors, <laughs> or only one can use it. Ooh. Uh, and, and somebody has to sacrifice their ideology. Uh, yeah, I'm going to let Justin decide Or this decide takes the one. Cold War to a hot war. Yeah, exactly. And and now, holy crap, if if the Sanctumites are going to have what they need to be superior, we've got to we got to we got to attack them. And and yeah, oh crap. I'm I'm not even going to go there. That's that's story food for Justin to chew on. That's why yeah. Yeah, I like I like the 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 quandary that represents. Gentlemen, I'm Come looking on, at the trilogy. clock. Oh, yeah, trilogy. total trilogy. Total trilogy. All right. 
Uh, I'm watching the clock. It's ticking down. I need to move us into that final stage of the roundtable where we take one last quick turn around the table and give final thoughts, inspirations, any ideas that you couldn't put up during the brainstorming proper. Uh, uh, But but give fill fill Justin's pockets full of literary gold so that we can send him on his way so we can write this fabulous story. Andrew, we'll start with you, sir. Final thoughts for Justin. Yeah, Justin, don't be afraid to expand your idea. Just because you have a lot of information, a surplus of information, doesn't mean to say you have to like stuff it into one novel. If it needs more than one, yeah, so be it. But you know, it, use that uh, additional material to ensure you have quality, ensure you have history. Because uh, if you do, oh, you know, then the reader will see it and they can relate more easily to it. Um, yeah, you, oh, great, great concept. And uh, cool. Yes, I, I wish you all the best. <laughs> I absolutely Thank agree. You. Absolutely agree. Master Miro, el, el Reiter Libre, what are your final thoughts, sir? It is not easy, but I will try. Um, <laughs> I really like, Justin, what you've got as central mm-hmm. conceit, as characters that can be intre- very interesting, um, as, and, and as in the real world, several dual three three or four different ways these societies get along and don't get along these are people these are human beings they're going to relate they're going to unrelate but again along with letting it breathe along with giving yourself time over several books i'm going to say to research to to lay out who they are and discover really play with who they are and let it breathe um something i've done a lot i give some of my work away on patreon and one of the things i discovered was that i was giving away concept art I was, mm, you know, paying right. some people to create some concept art, and some of those pieces of art have inspired me to think of what kind of currency they're using. Have inspired me to think of how people have changed the way they eat and how they celebrate holidays, yeah. and all of those small details that may never make it on the page. You really need to spend some time spitballing and throwing it all on the wall and seeing how it fits together so that there may be one line in one chapter where they talk about how they earn their money as a practical joke. But there's a whole economy that you understand behind it that makes the world deeper and richer. And you never say the words, but everything turns on the fact that you've created a cohesive whole that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Strong world building. Absolutely. And Andrew was affirming that too. There's, there's questions like, what do they use for money? How do they eat? What do they do with their waste disposal? What do they do yep. for water and food? All of those questions can be the, 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 the fodder for a, a whole cultural revolution uh, uh, in terms of evolving these things as, as an authentic culture uh, into which these characters exist. That's awesome. I love that. For myself, Justin, I'm going to offer this. Um, we've got this great concept of we've got Mara who is the local voice she she is the the reader's insight into uh, uh, this local culture and the voice who can talk about the history of it and so on and and other collateral characters uh, that's one head that we're POVing uh, we've got Zachary who is the savior uh, uh, the the bridger of voids he who shall not only unify somehow some way, uh, Sanctuary and Argos, but also the Mayflower. So I'm going to suggest that you consider adding a third POV mm-hmm. <laughs> and go go up to the Mayflower and have the commander oh. of the Mayflower be a character, have a drama unfolding that parallels or is integrated to the drama that's unfolding down on uh, uh, down on the planet's surface on Red Haven. 
but mm-hmm. allow for a true. Now we have Mara at one end, the commander on the other, who we obviously haven't talked about because I just put him up on the on the board, uh, and then Zach as the the integration between them. That could be a lot of fun. So I'm just going to drop that story concept bomb and then walk away because we're at the end of the episode. (laughs) Oh, I have to. I have to say one last thing. That offers the possibility that there could be the voice on the radio that's trying to convince both parts of the crew to go a different way. That opens the idea to mutiny, new cultural changes on the ship, a power struggle for which side to support. Yes. Everybody's discovery and decisions. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. A parallel, uh, a microcosm of what's happening on the planet happening on the Mayflower. Dude, Justin, you get your work cut out for you, man. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. Four, four books? <laughs> four books. Eh, just long. Just make them a little yeah. bit longer. Like, like, like Andrew said, like John said, let it breathe, baby. So here's yeah. the deal, Justin, as fabulous as that was. You've got work to do. you got to write this story. And when you do and you put it out in the world, whether it's a, a PDF or, or a serial story on your Patreon page or, or a deal with some big five, big six, however many there are publisher, you when it's out there in the world, seeding the imagination the collective you come back let us know and we will knight you sir we will make you a knight of the round table uh podcast are you are you down with that (laughs) i am down for that awesome very cool justin dude this has been a blast excellent story feast that you set for us and some really intriguing discussions i appreciate you stepping up with your courageous badass self all right thank you guys for having me Absolutely, absolutely. We wish you the victory of the writing. Indeed, body slam the chapters. Yes, atomic body slam. (laughs) Andrew Weston, sir, once again, you bring your wisdom and insights to everything that you participate in, and this brainstorm has been no exception. Thank you so much for your ideas and your insights and your participation today, sir. Well, thank you. I'll just listen to the unicorns. They are always wise. <laughs> that's, that's his That's his muse, unicorns dancing around. Uh, and John Miro, my, my handsome and charming co-host, master of the served worlds. Dude, it has been a delight to get on the same Skype line with you and do some brainstorming goodness, man. We got to do this again. Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Well, and as long as we're doling out gratitude, friends, thank you for clicking that play button. You know, without you, we're just a couple of, we're just a bunch of guys talking on the Skype line, uh, which is cool. And that's awesome and and great stuff. But we share it so that you can catch fire and be catalyzed by all of the the nuclear brainstormage that's happening out here. And I hope that happened for you. Uh, And if it did, and if you're feeling the love, blog about us, write a review on iTunes or share a Facebook post. Spread the word about the round table. Now, yes, we're done here. And I personally am spent. The room has gotten 12 degrees warmer with all the fire that's been going on. And I'm lighting the celebratory cigarette. But here's the thing. In seven days, like a phoenix from the ashes, we will rise again with another incredible guest host pouring wisdom into our ears, a bold and courageous guest writer serving up the brainstorming feast, more roundtable goodness to be had by all. But again, seven days, and I know it's like the jump to light speed, and it just takes for frickin' ever so, Master Miro, el, el Reiter Libre, will, will, you, will you inspire our listeners in terms of something that they can do to make that intervening time just whiz by? Oh, the listeners, they complete us. But before they come back, they must go out into the world 
Well, let's be honest. It was fun to Rumpelstiltskin up some gold out of this creative haystack. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun, Justin, Andrew, and your fine self. Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah. But for the next seven days, listeners, why not learn more about our guest writer at andrewpweston.com mm. or about me at servingworlds.com or perhaps you are ready to binge watch Jessica Jones or a man in the high castle. <laughs> but after all of that, do your writing soul a favor and go right. Yes, viva la writer libre! Absolutely, go write a, a, a resounding war cry for every writer in our listening audience. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Writer libre, I love this man. <laughs> I will tell you, dear friends, that you find what you're looking for. So look for the top shelf blue label goodness. Look for that forgotten Christmas present at the back of the Christmas tree. And if you look for those wonders and those marvels in your life, you will find them. We will see you in just seven days, dear friends. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Viva la libre! This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.